We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? Cheers to all the listeners for their mailbag questions. Yes, we absolutely love them. Gives us more content, more topics to talk about. But before we get into that, quick reminder, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com and Blue Wire Pods. But Let's Jack, what do we get- got? Let's get stuck in, Nick. I was too excited. I, I even cut you off before you even wanted to introduce me. But we've got at Cheap Guy NYC. He's got a couple of questions. We'll tackle one at a time. He says, crazy questions, but does COVID play a role in how Marx is structuring the team? Quite question depth is more important. I, I mean, the, the, the straight answer is yes, isn't it, Nick? Yeah, I think the straight answer is, but I would say every season you're worried about depth. Like you're trying to make your team as good as it can be through one through 15, two-way guys, G League guys. And like that's something we've seen Sean Marks do. Maybe this year you're like a little bit more worried about it and you don't necessarily want, you know, a Jana Musa and you'd rather have a Bruce Brown. You know, somebody who can give you actual NBA minutes that you can count on because there will be times, but I think like it's not necessarily to a higher extent than what it normally is. Probably just like a little bit more of a boost. The Nets are literally 15 deep. We yeah. have 15 guys, like, however much you want to count, you know, Rodion Skurutz and Nicholas Claxton, 
those are the probably 14th and 15th men on the rosters right now. And obviously there's the two ways, you know, Chioza, Jeremiah Martin, Elia Kobo, all these sort of, Reggie Perry, you know, those guys might be on the roster as two-way sort of guys as well. And they'll matter because the two-way guys, uh, the rules have changed. They'll be allowed to play 50 games rather than yep. sort of like the 50 days or 100 days of service it is. So they'll be making an impact, no doubt about that. Obviously the depth isn't at the position we want, but in saying that, the importance of most Brooklyn Nets offensive schemes, you know, Mike D'Antoni offensive schemes, is having good guard depth. And, you know, we've got questions later pertaining to that. But I think it does matter. I think a lot of teams are, are figuring that out. You know, trying to add guys at the vet minimum, making sure that their two ways are, are solid contributors because it's going to matter this season. And I said a little bit on the last pod with Matt, you know, I was, I'm truly worried about the impacts that COVID will have. You know, it's running rampant still around America. And it doesn't seem like the... I mean, the NBA has come out with like a dossier, 150 pages or whatever, but I'm still incredibly worried in how it's going to affect the Brooklyn Nets um, and the, the league at large. Yeah, I'll say this. I don't think... De like, Sean Marks went into the offseason being like, depth is the most important thing I need. But I think, like you said, Jack, it's going to be more important than ever this season. You know, the NBA did release some rules that I thought were like somewhat strict but that's good you know moving forward i don't know if you were able to see something i know you just woke up um in terms of like can't Clubs have like and stuff and yeah, yeah like yeah. what they can do in different cities so i think at least they're being a little bit proactive but like what you said jack it's, it's not like you can contain this virus no exactly like the virus it's it's not like it's you can you know you can stop you can wear a mask and yeah. hopefully all the players are wearing masks all the coaches are wearing masks and you know, obviously and that's not that's even 100% too, you know what I mean? Like, it, all it takes is one bad person touching your delivery food, and then next thing you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. It, the, the, the viral nature of it is is out of control, and, you know, people smarter than us can certainly discuss that a bit yeah. further. Um, in uh, another question from uh, Chief Guy in Ways, how is Nash different from D'Antonian coaching style, Nick? Uh, I think that's one we can't answer until we, you know, see Steve Nash be the head coach for an entire season. I think their styles are probably going to be similar, but they have personality differences just based off of the interviews we've seen of both guys. So until we see Nash, you know, coach this entire season, I don't think we can truly answer that question. I mean, I'll sort of try and answer it as much as I can at this point in time. Dan Tony obviously has a, a heavy, you know, offensive, you know, uh, expertise. And we assume probably Nash will as well, being that's where his strengths lie as a player. I think the and Dan Tony also very player centric play and sort of just like, you know, letting the players sort of do their thing. That probably happened more so in his career from Houston and beyond, even a little bit at the Lakers and and such. So sort of just letting the players sort of run things um, in that sort of respect, which I think is a good thing. Uh, I think Nash will have a similarity in that respect. But in terms of differences, I think that the, and we spoke about this at length with Matt Brooks on, on the last pod, the collaboration element with Nash, I think, is going to be more so like, you know, all right, Rather than so like Dan Tony's like, nah, I'm doing this, this, these are my rotations, these are my eight guys, I'm sticking with them. Whereas I think Nash will be a little bit more malleable because of the lack of experience and the lack of knowledge. He's going to be taking on things from different people, whether it be Vaughn, Dan Tony, Udoka, these sort of people that are going to be having an influence. So I think Nash's malleability will be different from Dan Tony's because it's just purely because of the lack of experience that Nash has and for because of the great amount of experience that Dan Tony has. I'm not sure what the, the defensive philosophies will be. I, we heard about, you know, you know uh, TLC and some other people talking about like six seconds or less, this sort of stuff. Um, I think the, the rotations and the X's and O's of coaching, like you mentioned, we can't totally analyze because we have nothing to look at. Maybe, you know, in the coming 
you know, over the next week or so, we'll the preseason games. The preseason games, we'll be like, ah, so he likes these eight guys, and I mean, we'll we'll eventually chat about that um, in some other sort of rotation questions. But yeah, I think those are the sort of things: malleability, experience, and a real sort of collaboration and sort of player centric element that I think D'Antoni does have. I think Nash is probably going to be even more so with that because of his collaborative nature. And just like, this is just a random guess, but I could just envision Nash being more creative in terms of like willing to try different types of like crazy stuff. Obviously, D'Antoni does that in terms of like offense, but I could see Nash doing that with his rotations, his lineups, not really being stuck to that eight-man rotation like you mentioned D'Antoni has in the past. Like, I think Nash will be just a little bit more creative. That's just a guess, though. Obviously, I could be completely wrong. Yeah, I mean, if we're looking just uh, armchair psychologists, like the personality traits yep. of of what Nash is like as a person, what he said to the media over the past couple of months or so. It's like, okay, we're trying to read into what this is and what his coaching style is within that. And, he, you know, we, we know what the offense is. We've heard nothing but the quotes about it. We know that, that he wants you know, there to be a, a great emphasis on defense, but we don't know what that looks like yet. Um, and, you know, Jacques Vaughn's going to be leading that, so maybe we look there in terms mm. of what the coaching style will be. But he sort of said... You know, and, and a big takeaway that Matt took from from the media days and the media week was that he was a, he was straight up like D'Antoni offense, uh, Vaughn defense, yeah. and then everyone the the joke was made Nash vibes, <laughs> which I love. Look, I I I think it's a little bit of a dig, but I also think you know if you can't joke then and if you can't take those jokes then you're a little bit uh, thin skinned. So yeah, it'll be interesting. It's it, I think that the the emotional intelligence and the communication levels that Steve Nash has. That's probably what we can read into his coaching style and what he will be like. You know, he's going to be awesome at the media conferences, but we don't know what he's going to be like with the X's and O's and the rotations just yet. 100%. Let's get to the last question from Cheat Guy NYC. Thanks for all the questions, mate. Um, aside from Spencer and Jarrett, who will get the most bench minutes from Nash this year? Also, whom do you consider the most versatile bench player who isn't a starter? Two good questions. Yeah, that's a great question. Obviously, Spencer or Jared or possibly DeAndre if he's not starting. Hmm. I kind of almost feel like – I don't know. Jack, do you have anybody that pops right for you? I, I thought about this question because it, it came up to us you know, pretty recently. Two guys to seek out, Atorian Prince or Bruce Brown. That's what I had. I was thinking between those two. Torian Prince is the only other decent-ish forward type. Yes, Jeff Green is, but Jeff Green is, is going to be used sparingly, and I think he could be, and I think that's where he will provide more efficiency if, you know, we're sort of saving him for the more important games and putting him out there at the five and, and those sort of things. But I think Torian Prince, I think he's going to have an impact, and I saw a recent report sort of saying that the, net, the Nets didn't really look to sort of dump him and they didn't want to trade him away and that sort of thing. So I think he's going to have an impact, and, you know, I've liked what he sort of said during the media days. So I think Toyin Prince is the guy that sticks out for me and also Bruce Brown because right now he's the best defender on the roster he's going he's to be guarding your Stephen Coe's your James Harden's, your Russell Westbrook's your Bradley Beal's, all those sort of dudes yes Spencer and Karras probably have done that in yesteryear but we know and we've heard from the likes of the other guys on the roster that Bruce Brown is a defensive specialist but he also does other things. You know, I think that yeah. we don't want to pigeonhole him in terms of like what maybe like Rondé or Trevion Graham sort of were in terms of they, that's what they do. They do defense, but they can't really do much else. I think Bruce Brown has a bit more of a, a skill set that I think you, know, you chatted about um, on the you were analyzing him after the signing. I thought that I think that those two guys probably stick out. Landry Shaman obviously is another guy that probably you know you could and TLC had a great end of the bubble. Tyler Johnson will probably play some minutes. I'm basically saying all the names for the sake of saying it. But to me, the guys that stick out are Bruce Brown and Toyin Prince. Yeah, almost it's easier to say who won't get minutes. You know what I mean? Like Tyler Johnson, I don't think is going to get minutes unless there's an injury. He's just kind yep. of 
in late in that rotation because you have Kyrie, you have Karras, you have Spencer, you have Bruce Brown, you have Landry Shamit, and then you know you get to Tyler Johnson after that. Like you said, I think Torian Prince just given his skill set and his size, obviously he can play both forward positions. And I think he'll do better this season just based off the fact is like he's going to be lower on the totem pole. We talked about at different points. Like the Nets almost needed him to be their third best player at certain times or fourth best player or third scoring option on offense. And that's just something he's not capable of. If he's the fourth or fifth option getting wide open shots off Kyrie and KD, things should be a lot easier for him. So I think those two, like you said, it almost feels like there's going to be games where Bruce Brown has to play like 25 minutes just given that he's, you know, that much better of a defender than the other guys, at least in terms of what we saw last season. Um, I mean, I always have, like last season when we were doing like Detroit Pistons recaps, Bruce Brown's a guy that sort of stuck out in terms of just not just on the... He like, murdered the Nets in the first Pistons game. Yeah, and not, and wasn't like on the defensive end either. Like last season, you know, he averaged 20, 28.2 minutes. I could see that number being somewhat similar because he has a skill set that sticks out for the Nets right now. You know, there aren't, unless Spencer Dinwiddie, like he has sort of said throughout the media week, that he's going to step up as sort of a role player sort of type. And that means his defense and three-point shooting after catch does improve. But right now, Bruce Brown has the specialist skill set that I think the Brooklyn Nets need, especially on the defensive end. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how the rotation works out because you have guys like Kyrie, you have guys like Kevin Durant, and then even Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie to an extent, and Joe Harris. Like, they're guys you want to give a lot of minutes to, but it's also kind of finding those combinations of offense-defense. Yeah, it, it's going to be fascinating. And, you know, the He's got a lot of camp. options. Nash has, like, got a lot of different lineups he can put out, and he can really just, like, match up with so many different teams. Obviously, he has issues matching up with certain forwards, but just given the amount of guards, like, if he wants to play a certain way, he wants to have, like, three really good ball handlers on the floor or four, like, he can have that. You know what I mean? Or if yeah. he wants to have, you know, two floor spacers in Shamit and Joe Harris at the same time, like, that's an option, too. There's just a lot of fun stuff you can do with this lineup and rotation. Yeah, I, I sort of, I, I don't know if I put out the tweet yet, but I've got some stuff saved in my drafts about, you know, the offensive versatility in terms of like, you know, you can have a green and a TLC out there and sort of small lineups with Kevin Durant as well. You know, just shooting, 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 shooting. You know, I think that there there are lots of combinations despite the fact that there are, you know, glaring weaknesses and gaps in the roster. You know, there's still a lot of depth there and there's a lot of talent at the end of the day. You know, I think the Nets are well-positioned, you know, going into what is going to be an absolute slog of a season. But we'll move on. We've got Dwayne. Just the second part of his question, Jack, we didn't answer. Uh, the oh, yeah. most, most versatile player, I would say, is Spencer Dinwiddie, just given that he can fill so many different roles from being lead ball handler, secondary creator, you know, has shown the ability to play off ball, maybe a touch, something he obviously needs to improve on. Defensively, he's had, you know, some nice games too. So I feel like he's the one guy where you can play him starter minutes, you can play him bench minutes, and you can mess with his role and he's probably still going to give you good numbers. I would hear an argument for Torian Prince having versatility too, but that's more so in terms of like positional versatility. Yeah, I'll make arguments for other guys as well for the sake of it. I sort of made Jeff the argument. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Je Jeff Green, what he showed in in the bubble, I thought was really good. You know, challenging a good piece for OTGBasketball.com, showing the fact that, you know, he was running it a little bit, running the offense a little bit, you know, hitting the three ball and, you know, the pick and roll with him. You know, he's still got that, that athleticism despite yeah. the fact that he's mid-30s. You know, Landry Shamit came into the league as a point guard. You know, he has that ability, but I think, you know, his specialist skill set, you know, I think he is a, bit, a little bit of a better defender than probably what he has shown. Obviously, the consistency, like you were talking about with Robert Flon and Bruce Brown, I made the argument for. You know, I think he 
has legitimate playmaking skills. I think he has legitimate, you know, offensive skills that I think are sort of getting underrated in a lot yep. of respects. So I like Bruce Brown. I think I'm going to become the Bruce Brown stand, and it probably leads into some of our later questions. Yeah, Bruce Brown, I think one of the biggest jumps he had last year was his playmaking and his ability to kind of make plays on the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how he can deal with that with the Nets. Obviously, he's going to get less touches than he did in Detroit, but still a good skill to have. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we got Dwayne had two questions as well, Nick. Last season, Nawaba was a revelation. Who do you think can be that unexpected spark this year? Bruce Brown. <laughs> yeah, literally. This is just, just talking about the, the Brooklyn, the, the BB, the, the BB, BB, Brooklyn Buzz, Bruce Brown. Yeah, I love him too. I just love what he's going to bring, just given that we don't have that type of skill set. And he's so young and he's already such a good defender. And he just shows so much effort on that side of the ball. I think he can help bring that defensive energy that they lacked at times when they were missing Nawaba after he tore his Achilles. I look to just to make an argument for another guy. I think Landry Shamit can provide that as an offensive sort of spark. Mm. You know, I, I think that while Spencer didn't, we haven't necessarily had, we had Crabbe and Harris, but it was never like both of them were ever able to, not necessarily mesh, it's just that like one of them was injured or one of them wasn't shooting well. Crabbe just wasn't that good. Yeah, you don't even have to be mean. I mean, be nice. Joe Harris was good that almost entire time. Like, and he wasn't even peak level Joe Harris yet. Alan Crabbe just didn't live up to the hype. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's basically it. And, you know, you, now you have two legitimate three-point shooting marksmen that are, you know, Joe Harris is one of the three, four best in the league at it, and Landry Shaman is certainly on his way up into that upper echelon as well. You throw them both out there, you know, I think both uh, Joe Harris probably more so because he, he has a bit more strength and, and gall about him than, than Shamit does. But I think Shamit's going to probably improve on the defensive end, and at, at least I hope he will, because the, the Nets certainly will need him to uh, in that sort of respect. So those are the guys that sort of stick out to, to me in that respect. But I will also get to the second question, Nick. Who? What do you think will be the biggest issue this year? Team chemistry, roster composition, coaching, COVID, or other? I mean, if you want to rank these, uh, I think that could be a, a fun little exercise as well. Yeah, I think COVID is by far the biggest issue because it's yep. something that you have no control over. I mean, you have some control and you can do everything in your power to try to prevent it. But like we said, you know, you're depending on other people that aren't even maybe in the Nets organization or just family members and someone making a simple mistake of just not used to, you know, wearing a mask or touching their face or whatever it might be. So COVID's definitely got to be number one. Um, let's see. And other, it has other on there. I'll say other, I'll rank number two, health, because that's just going to be the next most important thing. Um, team chemistry, I think, will be pretty important because if the team doesn't gel, it's not going to be good. I don't think it's going to be an issue, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Um, oh, it says, what do I think will be the biggest issue? So I think team chemistry, I guess, would put towards the bottom because I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Yep. Uh, mm, coaching or roster composition it's funny is because like with good coaching you can make up for issues you have with roster composition so i guess you'll put coaching ahead of that yeah yeah that's that's totally fair i mean i agree COVID is by far the number one not just for the brooklyn nets for, for the league at whole you know i've said this before and i'm going to say it on pretty much all pods luka Doncic came out with the the quote of all the media days you know he was asked you know who's going to be the big contenders this year it's like the ones that don't get COVID. Yeah. That's as simple as that, and it's a, it's a sad state of affairs, but that that's it. Don't want to bring it the, the, the whole vibe down, but I'll go next as roster composition because I've, I'm have i not necessarily falling into the rabbit hole of being like, oh, the Nets still don't have a wing, the Nets still don't have a wing, but the Nets still don't have a defensive wing. Yes, Coyne yeah. Prince is prototypically that, but he's not because yeah. he hasn't shown it in for like more than five game spurts throughout his, his Brooklyn Nets tenure last season. 
So while he can be that, they don't have that. Bruce Brown is a guard defender. I don't, yeah. I don't want Bruce Brown guarding Giannis and LeBron and AD, these sort of dudes. You know, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. You know, it, there's a lot of great wings. You know, Giannis, um, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. When it comes to the pointy end of the season and, you know, when it comes to the important games, you know, the Nets are going to lack that size and, and defensive acumen unless Kevin Durant, sucks in some miraculous world, hasn't lost a step there. But his health defense was what probably is the, the best part of him, not necessarily the one-on-one star. Maybe Jeff Green. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to be relying on Jeff Green for defensive versatility. So while the roster composition, and we just mentioned that the depth there is great, you know, the Nets lack and have lacked probably for the past three seasons since we started this podcast, a decent wing. You know, a decent yeah. defensive wing that can that can truly help them on both ends of the floor, especially defensively. So for me, that's my number two. I think coaching, because you have such a great assistant coaching ranks, that's where it makes up for the weaknesses of Steve Nash. But they still are going to be question marks. And I think those kinks will be worked out relatively early on. Team chemistry is probably last. But, you know, obviously with what Kyrie has said and if he's sort of bypassing his teammates and sort of, you know, just going straight to the media. But I don't see that that's what's going to be happening. I think team chemistry is going to be fine. We've sort of heard. And unless, you know, like Matt said, everyone's just great actors and taking Broadway classes or whatever, everyone seems to be buying into this sort of team mentality. This is my role. What's going to help us win? This is what we need to do to, to get that championship. So for me, team chemistry is probably at the lowest sort of point um, from those sort of different factors. Yeah, I think like, I mean, COVID is just such a big factor. That's really just like in a league of its own, like you kind of said, Jack. So I think like all of them are important in their own way and they all could obviously ruin the season or, you know, take the season to another level, but they're almost all kind of correlated to in some way too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we had any uh, limage... Uh, how many guards does it take to score in a light bulb? Nice one. Uh, is Mark trying to out Maury, Daryl Maury in Philly? Okay, let me just go through the guard rotation for the Brooklyn Nets, Nick. Kyrie Irving, Karis Levert, Joe Harris is a guard forward, Spencer Dinwiddie, Landry Shamet, Bruce Brown, uh, and Tyler Johnson. Now, and, that's and a, TLC is really a, a guard small forward too. Basically, <laughs> basically, you know, even though he's been playing four for the Brooklyn Nets, you know he came into the league as a as a two three. Now, I will say this: I there was a question that I was going to put in our last sort of chat, our, one of our previous episodes. Do the Nets have the best guard group in the NBA? Uh, probably. I mean, this is something we discussed last year, you know, going to the season is, you know, the trio of Kyrie Irving, Karis Avert, Spencer Dinwiddie, the best trio in the league. Thinking about it now, I don't think anyone really even has that amazing of a trio. You know, yeah. I think Boston is a team you consider with Kemba, Jalen Brown, and uh, Marcus Smart. You know, you might make an argument there. Yeah, um, Minnesota for me is probably the one. I mean, that's because all of their team is guards. So maybe that's why. <laughs> When you've yeah. got, you know, Anthony Edwards, Ricky Rubio, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, you know, they've got nothing but guards. And I think that obviously the Nets' high-level talent and consistency and maturity does sort of outweigh that. You know, I'm a big Ricky Rubio fan in general, but I think the Nets probably quite clearly have the best guard group in the NBA. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily a great thing because it, it, it means that there's, you know, a, a glaring hole at the forward position, you know, which we just uh, alluded to. So... Uh, as much as like I understand the importance, and it feels like this is Kenny, like this is a, a roster Kenny Atkinson would absolutely love. He's got so many ball handlers, so many guys that can run it and and, and do different things with the ball in their hands. But you know, it it does leave the the Nets in with a, cl- a clear area of weakness. 
Yeah, I agree. I like the fact, though, that the guard group also has, like, specialists. Like, we have that high-end talent. Then you also have your specialists in, like, a Bruce Brown and a Landry Shamit, too. But like you said, Jack, obviously, forward is an issue. But having so much depth at one position allows you to hopefully, you know, kind of trade some of that off and improve in other areas without kind of having a negative effect on the team. Yeah, and we did talk about that in the last pod as well. You know, Sean Marks was alluding to that, you know, this roster is a complete... When you are around that realm of playoff can playoff and championship contention, you're always going to be making moves and trying to solidify and consolidate the roster going forward. Next questions, Nick, we had one from at BKN underscore says, I know for sure no one expected this offseason to go the way it has. Are you all shocked by the quiet and low-key additions? Now, to sort of just recap the Brooklyn Nets offseason, it's re-signing Joe Harris, it's getting Jeff Green, it's the trade for Landry Shamit, it's uh, the trade for Bruce Brown. That was basically the Brooklyn Nets offseason. Yeah, and to be honest, this is kind of what I expected. I didn't think it was going to be that crazy. It was either going to be a big trade for, you know, James Harden or Bradley Beal, but there never was really an opportunity to make other moves in terms of free agent signings. They only have the taxpayer mid-level exception. And like we talked about before the offseason, signing, you know, Serge Ibaka on that was always kind of a pipe dream. They got farther than I thought they ever would, but I didn't think any of the moves were that surprising. If anything, I'm I'm kind of impressed they were able to make like more than one move. You know, adding Bruce Brown, adding Landry Shamit, like the Jeff Green would probably be something that I expected going to the offseason. I didn't necessarily expect the other two. Yeah, look, I'm to make the argument for the latter in terms of saying like the 19th pick, if it had have been used instead of trading for, for Landry Shamit, while Landry Shamit is a proven performer in the NBA, a guy like Sadiq Bey, Josh Green was already taken. You know, these sort of dudes, Sadiq Bey taken with the 19th pick by the Detroit Pistons. While he is a rookie, there is a lot of sort of ready-made rookies that would have been able to contribute to this team on the defensive end. Guys that we chatted about uh, on the pod with Alec. And, you know, maybe that is something that the Nets will regret. Maybe Sadiq Bey is automatically contributing in Detroit if he can somehow get a, a starting spot for those damn centers. But in saying that... 2020 has reshaped how we work. And it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be more efficient which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there's no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching with candidate instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only site that moves as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win the season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. 
Head to BetOnline today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. Christopher Lavinio uh, put this out there, and I think it sort of relates to I just want to say one thing about the rookie stuff, Jack. Like, I would say this is one season where you don't want to depend on a rookie given the short turnaround. You know, we had the draft, what was it, November 22nd or something like that around that time? Yeah, and now you're going to have this season within a month. So your rookies, like, even if they are, quote-unquote, NBA ready, they're still not going to have the time to kind of get adjusted to the NBA life. I'm sure some guys are still going to have big seasons, but this, I would say you have a a lesser probability of having, like, rookie impact on the floor this season than probably any other season in, like, the last 10 years. Uh, Look, it's a totally fair point, but I think that there are going to be guys, Tyrese Halliburton, Sadiq. No, I think there will be guys, but I'm just saying it's always a risk. Like, there's no guarantee any rookie. You could be the number one pick, and you might have a terrible season just because you're a rookie. And I think if your learning curve just shrunk, and now you have to learn everything in the matter of a month instead of four months, the probability just isn't on your side. So I think, I mean, in my opinion, I think Sean Marks made the smart choice in getting a player that he knows can impact this season instead of somebody who might. Yeah, no, it's totally fair. You know, there's, there's a risk and reward and an upside and a downside and floor ceiling, however you want to sort of consider it. I think that's totally fair. Um, Christopher Lavinia, this relates to the question, Nick. Is there a concern about the lack of moves made from Marks this offseason? Are Brooklyn truly, do, you, do players actually think Brooklyn is a contender or do those priorities lie elsewhere, i.e. Clippers, Lakers, Bucks, these sort of teams? Obviously, Jeff Green was that sort of, you know, vet minimum guy, the sort of guy to sort of chip in there, you know, we saw Jay Crowder go to other teams and, and these sort of dudes, you know, Mo Harkless, obviously, with the relationship with Jacques Vaughn. But is this a, a worrying sign at all, Nick? Or is it sort no. of, you know, worrying over nothing? No, I think this is just a bad take. I think this is just trying to get, like, some attention on Twitter because, like, guys, Serge Ibaka literally almost signed with the Nets and they were offering him, like, 4 to $5 million less than the Clippers. Like, we're not even talking about, like, oh, we both had the mid-level exception and he chose L.A., like, he chose L.A. because they had more money. And then also, like, are we going to ignore the fact that James Harden requested a trade to Brooklyn? Like, one of the best players in the NBA. Like, I think that says more than anything else in terms of the free agent class, given that the Nets never had the money to really make a move for anybody. And, like, yeah, I get why people are upset that Sean Marks didn't add a wing. But if you're going to overpay for a wing, that doesn't necessarily, like, make it a good move. Like, we saw how much the Bucks had to pay for Drew Holiday. Like, that's not a great trade. Yeah, if Giannis stays, that's a little bit different. But just like in a vacuum, trading three first-round picks and two swaps and a couple players for Drew Holiday on an expiring contract, that's that's not great, you know, basketball decision. No. I'm, I mean, the, the thing that sort of sticks out for me is one of my guys who I've sort of been standing since the sort of start of the offseason, Chris Dunn, going to Atlanta for, for two years, $10 million. I'm just like... Man, we could have just offered him the taxpayer MLA, and I think he would have been. And I get like he's not good offensively, but he is all defensive caliber. Like he would be perfect, and like he'd be Bruce Brown times twenty. He's that I don't know about defense. times twenty. Like he's down. really no, he's Bruce really Brown. good, but I don't think you're underselling Bruce Brown a little bit too. Like he's a really good defender too. He's not all NBA, but like I don't. I think it's like it would have been just kind of pointless to add Bruce Brown and Chris Dunn, and like. I always listen to Zach Lowe talk about this. And, like, a lot of people love Chris Dunn's defense. But at the end of the day, like, the offense is really bad. And there's still a question of, like, if he's on the floor, you're still playing four on five, especially in, like, an off-ball role for somebody who can't shoot a three. Like, I get it. If they didn't make the Bruce Brown trade, then, yeah, go after Chris Dunn. But since they got Bruce Brown, I don't think it was as much of a need. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm still gonna stand my dude Chris Dunn till the day I die. Chris Dunn and Mo Harkless seem to be have turned into my dudes this off season. Uh, Manolo's underscore way. If the Nets don't perform well and it's clear it may be a Kyrie problem or there's rumblings of locker room issues with him, should the Nets trade him? Would they? And what would the return be? They're not training Kyrie. It's 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 plain and simple. The only the, way they would trade Kyrie is if Kevin Durant said, you know, this guy's pissing me off. I mean, James James Harden did it with Russell Westbrook, so maybe I'm maybe you know friendship isn't everything. You know, James Harden's like you know get Chris Paul out of here, even though I play much better basketball with him and I've had much more success with him, and the ceiling is much higher. You know, I've all, I was all from the day we did like you know the free agency outlet stuff last year. I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. But look. Sometimes uh, Kevin Durant might do that. You know, we know that these guys <laughs> change their minds and, and they have every right to do that. Kyrie wanted to be in Boston and now he wants to be in Brooklyn. You know, there's there's probably going to be arguments behind the scenes. There's probably going to be athletic pieces and ESPN pieces from Jackie McMullen of Kyrie not liking Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant took the last shot or whatever it might be. But I think that you would like to think either that the friendship is solid enough to sort of get beyond those sort of little things along the way and that their professionalism is is good enough to sort of get them along the way. So, I mean, the comparison point of Russell Westbrook, I think is a decent one, not to tout my own sort of take, but I think that, you know, Russell Westbrook and James Harden have a a really good relationship. I'm not comparing friendships because I just don't know. I'm a friendship connoisseur of the the NBA. Um, But in saying that, if there were to be some sort of return, I, I, you always get less when you are trading the superstar. Car, the, the trade for Kyrie Irving to Cleveland was Isaiah Thomas, the eighth pick, which turned into Colin Sexton and something else. And I'd Jay know. Crowder. Jay Crowder, which is a pretty poor return for... I mean, Isaiah Thomas was coming well, up and all that. Yeah. Yeah. But well, at that's the end what the- made it tricky, and he had the hip injury, so it was always still like you're not getting the same value. Like... Kyrie was still always better than Isaiah Thomas. It was kind of an outlier season. Like you said, Jack, unless there was some crazy issue where like they just parted ways, I guess, in a sense, but the Nets wouldn't get great value back in terms of just because you're trading a superstar and then people are are knowing that you're still in a championship window and you need to flip him into something ASAP. Look, I, I'm going to just provide takes for the sake of providing takes. If uh, in a hypothetical world where you can have Kyrie or James Harden and just pick one of them on this team... Just give me James Harden and Kyrie can go to Houston. I, I, that, that take's been brought up before. I think that, that Kevin Durant and James Harden would be the best duo in the league, maybe automatically. I'm not sort of discounting LeBron and Anthony Davis. They're probably the best. You know, I put out on the OTG basketball Twitter, you know, where do Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving rank? You replace Kyrie Irving with James Harden. It's pretty hard to rank them outside of the top two. Yeah. And I think the only reason you'd rank them two and not one would be Kevin Durant's health probably because they'd be like, you know, 1A or 1B with them. Depending on what happens with LeBron AD, I mean, Anthony Davis could be better this season. I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, I mean, LeBron's 36, 37, and I mean, just... <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to think about LeBron anymore because just he doesn't, you know, science doesn't apply to him. <laughs> yeah, it defies the concept of all logic and, and science, like you mentioned. Uh, uh, Patrick Buzdinski, is there a concern that Kyrie slash DeAndre are going to get KD on board uh, with Beyond Meat? KD is a bit on the lean side already. Nick, have you ever had Beyond Meat? Uh, not that specific brand, but I've had, you know, like the vegetarian meat. Not a big fan. Not really my thing. I'll stick to eating, you know, chicken, beef, whatever. Uh, I'm not sure if KD is going to, I don't know what his uh, interest in food is like. Yeah, I mean, he's from, like, I mean, he's not from there, but he spent his college in, like, Texas and stuff where yep. they love that barbecue and stuff. So, you know, I'm sure there's some good, decent barbecue places in Manhattan and Brooklyn. 
Um, you know, there's uh, what's it? Called? There's Chick Fil A and, and Shake yeah. Shack across the road. Yeah, you got to get the the good stuff from there. You know, uh, I uh, from what I hear from friends that have had it before, we don't get the Beyond. Or we do get it, but it is ridiculously expensive. If a Beyond Meat was cheaper and those sort of brands and that quality was cheaper, I'd be absolutely buying it. But you know, in the and I understand that the not to get all you know climate change and uh, bringing those sort of topics into it. the carbon footprint I'm leaving on the earth isn't great when I'm picking you know that damn cow boot burger and that that chicken fried chicken or whatever it might be but yeah I'll, I'll I'll get into some beyond meat if it look if the Nets are going crazy Kyrie's playing you know 70 games this season and DeAndre uh, is revitalized as a pick and roll threat and is is leaping over dudes and murdering dudes like he did with Brandon Knight then uh, yeah, sign me up for Beyond Meat subscriptions and those food sort of things, whatever. Uh, I'm down for it. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm uh, always the irrational one of this podcast. Uh, at a Scott Nets blog, what player on the Nets will benefit most from playing with a healthy KD and Kyrie? Surprised you didn't jump on this, Jack. Joe Harris. It's pretty easy here. Landry Shamit would be probably up there too, you know, getting open threes. And then I think after that, you probably look at the center position, you know, especially with a guy like Kyrie Irving, how many, how much he gets to the rim and usually sucks in two or three defenders. It's usually like an easy drop off for Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan. So really three point shooters and bigs in the paint that are just going to get open layups and dunks. Yeah. I, I was trying to A, just to find the, the Reddit um, post that sort of had, play shooting percentages when Kyrie Irving is with them on the floor. And I, and I put that out last year and I just couldn't find it for the life of me. But I remember the guy that stuck out the most. Do you remember who it was, Nick? Torian Prince, right? Torian Prince was the guy that stuck out the most. Now, I agree. Those guys, I'll, I could talk about Joe Harrison, the fact that he's going to be shooting 85% from three this season, <laughs> double his season average or career average. I Obviously wonder not- what the highest number he really could shoot. Like, I'm curious. Like, it, I mean, like shooting over 40% is really ridiculous when you think about it. And the fact that he almost shot 50% that one season. So it's like with Katie and Kyrie, he's never even played with anybody like close to that level. Like, I don't know. It, it's weird. Like, you know, There'll be probably games where it's just like, man, this shot is so open. Should I actually, should I have this shot? It might actually take some getting used to for Joe Harris and, and Landry Shammer to be like, man, I have so much space here because those guys are used to having defenders in their face, having to move a little bit of a sidestep. You know, Joe Harris is a Duncan Robinson or Davis Bertans, but, you know, he has that little bit of craftiness to, to find that little bit of extra space. Uh, yeah, the slight contest, like it's almost something you kind of are feeling for. Like I've noticed even in the past where we've seen Joe Harris probably miss more wide open threes than you think he would just because it's probably just like a weird feeling. Like I know like this is a term you hear from basketball players, like going to the rim, almost shooting layups with like contact is easier because you're anticipating the contact. So when the big kind of steps away, it almost makes you miss. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, it makes total sense. But yeah, the argument for Toy and Prince is that, you know, again, those open three point shots, mechanically speaking, he is a yeah. very good three point shooter. I think last year I would like to think was a, a blip on the radar because, you know, that is probably his best skill. You know, I, I thought that his rebound was also really good last yeah. season. Um, and again, not necessarily saying that that's going to be, I think we need his defense to be better. And maybe it is because you have Katie and Kyrie and those guys on the floor demanding greater habits and greater practices from you. And it's just like, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to see Kyrie shoving a toy prince like he did with Jadon Moussa, former great ex-net Jadon Moussa. Um, you know, I, I don't want that to be the case. But I... I Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and I'm a little bit optimistic about Toy and Prince. His three-point shooting hopefully will get better and hopefully his defense does too because he has that sort of solidified role. 
I think also is like last year he complained about that, Jack, not having the role. Remember we saw like those uh, tweets, yeah. They maybe they were <laughs> pointing at Kenny Atkinson or something and him saying like he really didn't know what his role was in certain games. He tried to take too many shots. And it feels like based off of media week so far, everyone kind of has a good idea of what the role is. So like you said, that might benefit a guy like Torian Prince who could just go in, be a shooter, be a defender, and rebound. And like you don't have to put the ball on the floor unless you have a wide open dunk on a fast break. Yeah, and the communication, I think, from Kenny Atkinson was good when it came to the vets, but wasn't good when it came to guys that were sort of lesser on the roster. Almost like of, he didn't know what to say to some of these guys. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people were sort of, like Karis was sort of saying about Sean Marks and saying hey, like how he's been just open and transparent about everything that's been happening this offseason. Yeah. I think that that's come from probably the addition of Steve Nash and sort of being like, look, this is the culture and precedent I want to set. We're going to be totally fully honest and transparent with everyone about trade rumors rotation whatever it might be and and hopefully that is the case from from number one to number 15 on the roster so everyone sort of knows where they stand i know nicholas claxton said last season he's just like you know I'm, i don't know what i'm playing you know it, it's <laughs> i figured out on the night it's just like you know you would like to be mentally prepared going into like you know your first game or your second game to sort of go all right i'm going to be going up against you know yusuf nurkic or you know going up against deandre Aiden or, or whatever else it might be so i'm, I'm maybe that and again can you consider a lot, lot of other great things on and off the floor for the Brooklyn Nets, but communication sometimes was his weak point. Yeah, and we obviously heard that thing from Kenneth Reed when he first uh, left the Nets complaining about Kenny Atkinson never really telling him his role and telling him he was going to play and then he didn't play. So I think it, it'll be a little bit easier too. I mean, you... where's Kenneth Reed now, Nick? I guess at the end of the day. No, no, yeah. Like I was going to say, you take that with a grain of salt, but I think there's been little hints along the way that communication might have been an issue for Kenny in terms of like, specific roles even the whole thing with Karis LeVert and D'Angelo Russell you know yeah. and after Karis had the big game you know D'Lo said don't hold him back yeah and you know we saw Karis sitting on the bench here. uh yeah. in the OKC game we were both pretty irate doing the recap yeah. for the buzz on that episode and hopefully and Karis we... was too and like we get pissed off all the time Karis doesn't typically showcase that type no. of emotion <laughs> yeah and, and it was good to see I think yeah. that that was sort of a, a level of progression in his mentality. It's like, that's probably some of the times what we want to see from Jared Allen at certain points. Yeah. And when he would say, you know what? This is my starting position. I want it. And it's just like, yes, Jared, you do that. Um, but let's get some more questions. We've got, we've got a few more. Uh, at Bailey77800555 on Twitter. Huge fan of the show, guys. Appreciate you both so much. Have to give ourselves a little bit of love. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. You know, anybody who listens, subscribe, you know, giving us a review or anything. You guys are awesome. And we love talking about the Nets regardless. But the fact that you guys support us is even better. I, I, I still it still bewilders me that, you know, three, four years into this thing that people still listen to my irrational stupidity about certain players, uh, my over the top takes. Uh, and my maybe overbearing passion and fandom about this basketball team. I didn't team. know if the poem was going to help us get followers. Or <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I can't know if that episode did well or if it did do well. I'll have to check out the numbers for it. The stream um, did well, so that's all that matters. <laughs> that's all that matters. You know what? I'm going to try and like analyze. Uh, I, I hope that you know eventually whatever platform we continue to use provides us like where the like, listening point people start to listen or yeah. don't listen. I wish people could like, you know, oh, that's my favorite quote of the podcast or whatever. Anyway, uh, Bailey's questions are, A, who do you think will be the number one options for the, for the Nets this season? We'll tackle B um, in a little bit. Yeah, Kevin Durant. This will be the number one option. I, I don't think every single night, but when it push comes to shove and it's the end of the game or something and, like, the Nets need a bucket, KD's probably going to be that guy. Unless it's one of those, like, 
heat heat check games for Kyrie Irving or even Karis Avert. Like if they're going off for 40 or 50, they're going to get the shot. But I think like going into a playoff series, Kevin Durant is probably your main number one scoring option. It might not be that way in the regular season, given so many guys. But I think, you know, you want KD to be that guy. And for the Nets to win a championship, he has to be that guy. Absolutely. And KD has shown he can be that sort of second yeah. fiddle. He did it in Golden State. You know, when Clay was hot, when Steph was hot, you know, those are two, you know, true offensive masterminds. And and the Nets do have, look, to put it bluntly, the Nets have four guys that can be a semi-number one option. Spencer Dimwini has proven it. Karis Avert proved it for us in the bubble. And, you know, when the Kyrie and, and injury happened, uh, the latter points of the season. And, you know, obviously we know Kyrie can do it. You know, he can do it with his eyes closed. And Kevin Durant can do the same thing. So, the Nets have guys who can be number one options. Not necessarily that Spencer Dibble can be a number one option on a, a championship team, but if there's injuries to, to, to Karras or there's load management and it's going up against, it's in a back-to-back, -back, you know, on the road or whatever it might be, and it's Spencer and the, the depth of the rotation, I'm still relatively confident because he has proven that for this team in much lesser circumstances. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be games where I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving will both sit out, and I think the Nets can still win. You know, they're yep. not going to beat the Lakers that way, but they could beat the Cavs or the Knicks that way. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, this is already, this is probably a better team than last season, even without, you know, KD and Kyrie. Not saying I want that to be the case, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like, across the board and the improvements we've probably seen from Karis Avert and probably Jared Allen. Because we didn't really lose anybody in the roster. We just added smaller pieces. Yep. We had, like, more depth, which yep. is, you know, I think if Kenny... You know, we'd have 12 guys, like I said, 15 guys, all 15 guys in this rotation right now, discounting two-way players, can play NBA-level basketball. You know, It'll be some... important on those three and four nights. You know, when you have three games and four nights, like, there's going to be times where you need to play 12 guys or somebody's going to sprain their ankle on the first night of a back-to-back -back, and they're not going to be able to play the next two. Look, I'm, I'm going to continue to make... I've made soccer comparisons on the last show in, in, in terms of Steve Nash's coaching style. I think that that's the sort of same thing with what we're seeing in the English Premier League right now and other leagues with the condensed fixture in Champions Leagues, Europa Leagues, uh, international friendlies and such. You know, you're seeing the likes of sort of Chelsea play like Giroud and then you've got, you know, Tammy Abraham, you know, and, and Steve Nash, we know how much of a soccer fan he yeah. is. And I think we had... You know, it's not like the the Nets lack depth like my uh, my toffee blues uh, the, in Everton. I think uh, this isn't going to turn into a soccer po podcast, guys. Please <laughs> please stick around. I'm, I'm getting to the point. I, I don't know what that, he's talking about either. I just know the uh, team. So. <laughs> whenever you're talking about the Packers, I know what Aaron what an Aaron Rodgers is, but I don't know what anything else is to go with this. Patrick Mahomes, that's probably the other two guys I know. But in, in saying that, I just think that the rotation and, de and and the roster, obviously, you know, there's 11 players on a soccer pitch and, you know, and the depth of the, the whole roster overall is similar to what it is, you know, with a basketball team. You know, not saying that it's, it's, it's you know, you just swap it over and it's the same sort of style, but I think that there are some comparisons that can be made with it, probably more so than any other person, you know. We see a lot of coaches sort of say that, you know, I take things from different sports. I think Steve Nash is probably going to do that quite a bit as well, and that relates to sort of an earlier question in terms of sort of his malleability um, overall. Yeah, and that's a pretty common thing. I remember taking college classes and there was some like sports-related stuff in terms of coaching. It's like three-on-two advantages is important in all different types of sports. You know what I mean? Like it's basketball, it's soccer, it's hockey, like whatever it is. Like there's different avenues where all these sports are connected. Yeah, absolutely. The skill, there's transferable skills, and whether it be it physical or mental. Uh, the question B, you rocking Katie or Kyrie's shoes if you could only pick one? Nick, what are you, what are you rocking? Uh I probably would go KD's. I, I don't know why. I just think it kind of fits my foot a little bit better. And I just like being like a taller, bigger person. Like, you know, I can get away with having a big basketball sneaker. I know sometimes it looks ugly on other people, but uh, it's okay for me. 
Maybe I'm getting a pair of KDs for Christmas. I'm not sure. You might ask Ooh. my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Um, I have a pair of both. So yeah. I'm, I'm lucky to have a pair of both. I, I can talk about the fit of both of them. While I am like tall, tall-ish like you are, the Kyries fit my foot better. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have necessarily that big a feet for a, for a tall dude. And I just think that the support overall, I also really like the style of Kyries. I think that they're really sort of, the streetwear sort of style is, is quite fashionable um, mm-hmm. in a way that, and I think that's why they're so popular. They're at a really great price point too. Yeah. I think that that's something that really sticks out to me. Um, you know, I, 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 any, because any, he releases his exclusives and then he also releases like what he calls like a value sneaker which yep. isn't necessarily like the most expensive one which is awesome because then like everyone can have a pair of Kyrie's you know what I mean yeah it's great I've got ones and twos or ones and threes um, and I'll definitely be keeping out an eye out for I think the sevens are the ones coming out and I think KD 11s or 10s um, but yeah all of the 13s <laughs> Oh, well, he might be up to 13s now, but I, I think the iteration that I have, I think, are the 11s. But, yeah, they're a bit skinnier and longer, like you sort of mentioned, yeah. you know. Look at the the what Kevin Durant looks like. But both of them are great basketball shoes, and I just think that the the edge that Kyrie has is that they're, they're just cool shoes to wear. Um, he just released you're... a collab with a Sue Bird, I believe, Kyrie. Yeah, that, um, look, I think that the creativity that both of these dudes have, you know, uh, I think basketball sh- culture, shoes, uh, you know the city editions, all this sort of stuff, and I think we might have questions about that uh, at some point. But we have chatted about it too. You know, I just think that the impact of basketball culture and basketball sort of streetwear on fashion overall, the, there's no sport that can really compete. Maybe to an extent, the English Premier League. You know, with like Manchester United and Chelsea, they've sort of got like that sort of called British sort of streetwear thing with the with the Adidas collabs. But I think streetwear wise and fashion sort of wise. Massive fan of it. Of like I, my wardrobe, I'm wearing now some some net sort of streetwear and, and fashion sort of stuff. I'm a big fan. Yeah, the black and white also looks really nice too, and it just matches a ton of different stuff. And I mean, if the Nets win a championship, I would expect the KD Kyrie uh, like shoe drop, like a championship package where you get yeah. you know one of each sneaker. I think I want to say Kyrie did that with LeBron when they won a championship. I'm not 100 percent sure though. I know Steph, I think did. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he released his just before the finals or whatever. I also really like the SpongeBob Kyries. They're, they're really cool. They're really nifty and cool. I'm a big fan of those. Um, and I did recently, or a, a gift for me for my 30th birthday, a friend got me uh, one of the biggie hoodies with the sort of Brooklyn Nets with the crown on it. And on the, it says spread love the Brooklyn way. Mm. And I'm like, I love it for so many different reasons, but I also really love the sort of, um, the saying on the back, the, yeah. the sort of, uh, I just, because it's just, it's the vibe. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter, Nick, at the end of the day. <laughs> I love it, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to the final question from Bailey. Uh, I know I already commented on this, but I was thinking this morning. Do you think the Nets will go with the more hockey style of substitutions or will see one of Katie or Kyrie on the floor at all times? Nick, can you explain to me hockey style substitutions? Uh, so they usually change like the entire line. So it'll be like the entire group of guys are usually changing. Like it'll be like at least three of the five guys. Sometimes they'll change all of them. Shark Vaughn and Kenny Atkinson. It would sort of be like the three guys, but it would be like, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, and Karis Avert would come off, and then Spencer would stay on. Or Karis, you replace one of those sort of two. So I guess that's sort of hockey style, if I'm not Yeah, mistaken. like it would be like, I think what he's referring to is more so like a clean swap where you'd say yep. starters to bench type yep. of thing. Yep. So I, I don't really know, to be honest. It's like hard to really, you know, gauge Steve Nash. It's just more of like a guessing game right now. I would think Kyrie and Katie are going to spend a lot of their minutes together. 
Yeah. But I do think they'll have minutes apart. And I brought this up actually on the outlet preview series for the Nets is the one nice thing for the Nets is they have four very good playmakers, two being elite in KD and Kyrie, but then they have two very good ones in Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. They also have two great floor spacers in uh, Joe Harris and Landry Shamit, and they also have two great vertical spacers in Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. So, like, they have different things to put on the floor. So they could do the hockey substitution a substitution, and make the clean swap and maybe keep Karis on the floor or maybe have him as, like, an early sub. Really hard to guess the rotations until we see at least like five games. Yeah, look, I, I, I think I'm with you. I think Katie and Kyrie will probably spend a lot of time together. I think if anyone's going to spend more time, you know, it will probably be Katie just because, you know, as a, as a wing. And I think, you know, him playing with Karis, I think will provide a lot of value for yeah. Karis in terms of opening up the floor for him a little bit. Um, and, and Spencer Dimity, the same sort of thing. Both of them have not necessarily the same games, but similar sort of strengths in their skill set. So, yeah, it is definitely a guessing game at this sort of point in time. But I could also see Knights. I, I think that, like you mentioned, the Nets have those options. And you you ran through just a, just a, just some of them. I yeah. think it, it allows Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, and Jacques Vaughn to just get wacky and get crazy with it and sort of experiment. I think that this season is going to favor the coaches that are willing to be experimental. And, mm. you know, that's the likes of, you know, Nick Nurse and, and those sort of people to just go, you know what? I don't care if I look stupid sort of putting out, you know, Landry Shamit, Joe Harris, and, you know, three other spaces on the floor. If it means I have to, and if it means I want to sort of try some different things, let's do it. Um, and I think that at least from what I can garner as Steve Nash and his personality and what he's sort of been preaching, I think that the Nets are going to be willing to do a couple of weird things too. In such, in such a big collaboration, you think the players would want to get creative too. You know what I mean? Like KD and Kyrie. and There's just so many different things they can put out there. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... Look, I was listening to um, Nerdish you wrote today, um, and there's a lot of, obviously, weaknesses on the defensive end of the floor. But I think that they're all... I, I think also what we saw last season from... Uh, the question that unprompted, I guess, Nick, do you think that the Nets are better players this year defensively or last year defensively? Well, I think, you know, obviously looking at the beginning of the season, we're going to exclude David Nwaba because obviously he only played a small portion of time. And I yeah. think Bruce Brown would be like an upgrade on the roster where you could see the improvement. It's really tough to say because you could see Karras, you could see Spencer, and you could see Torian Prince all make strides forward. I would say they're probably around the same level as last season. That's like Maybe. eighth, Nick, eighth or ninth in defensive rating. Like yeah. that's that. Like if if the net, I will take eighth or ninth in defensive rating. Just give me the same Brooklyn Nets on the defensive end last season. Same thing. That well, that's what I was getting to, Jack. Because I listened to actually the same podcast today, and that's what I was thinking in my head. I was like, well, you know, guys, like actually, I'll talk to Mo, Seth, and uh, Dave DeFore before, but it's like, yo. We actually had like a competent defense and we had no good defenders last year except Jared Allen. So if Jock Vaughn's able to scheme something up, they might be able to have some success. Obviously, we don't know what type of defender Kevin Durant's going to be. He could be really bad. Like there's a possibility coming off a yep. torn Achilles or he just might not want to show that much effort on that side of the floor given like he's going to be putting a lot of effort in offensively. And Kyrie Irving is kind of like a mixed bad bag defensively. Like he's, he's quite bad. He's no, quite bad. I mean like in sense of like sometimes he'll play in the scheme and then yeah. sometimes he'll just go, you know, do his Over. own thing. Lone, yeah, lone Over. wolf and try to jump in the passing lanes and stuff like that. If he's doing yeah. that, then it's harder to run the scheme. If we're running the scheme and everyone's kind of locked in, then you have a better chance at being better as a collective unit than you would be separately. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And, and, and I, I, we will get to a couple of more questions in a little bit, but I think this is a question that, you know, we'll probably tackle at least at some sort of iteration when we're doing this massive season preview that we've got coming up. But I think it's worth sort of debating because, you know, how are you scheming for the weaknesses of Katie and Kyrie is a really good point, Nick. You know, I think that the scheme that Boston had allowed Kyrie Irving to be the best defensive version of himself. And yeah. I'm not saying that Steve Nash and Jacques Vaughn and Emma Yudoka are going to be able to institute a defense as as quality as that and obviously when you have Marcus Smart and Al Horford at his best on the roster at that point in time to step back because those are two otherworldly defenders and they but, even had the likes of like Jalen Brown like Brad yeah. Wanamaker like other like good you know just like they're not they're even, good. yeah like they were not even like the most elite guys but like they're better than what the Nets have unless these guys take a jump and we really have no idea until we see it happen yeah, I mean, we're optimistic about it from what they're saying, but, you know, the, at, it's words and not actions at this point in time. It has to be sort of backed up with, you know, true actions and behaviors and, and production on the floor. So it's it's the biggest question mark, Nick, uh, heading into the 100%. next season. 100%. I mean, the biggest question mark. But, uh, well, it's one of the biggest question marks because it's a lot, and we might have to do, like, a whole question mark se- uh, section of the, the season preview coming up. But we'll get to the final questions, Nick. Who is a big man the Nets can trade for if they don't plan on keeping J.A.? Uh, this is via at JD underscore 5BD. Oh, man, this is a tough one. I mean, like, I just don't know in terms of, like, what we're – are we looking for a stretch? Then maybe – Names, Nick? I, I had two names in mind. Okay, I was thinking one that popped in my head instantly was Miles Turner, but that's always someone I bring up. What do you got, Jack? I, I, I had two other names. I had a guy you don't need to trade for and Dwayne Dedman, you know, mm-hmm. a guy that can just slot in. Um, and then PJ Tucker, you know, yeah. uh, I, I, those are the two names. I was trying to sort of like go through most of the rosters, trying to do my prep for, for this episode. And those, I mean, we've spoken about Dwayne Dedman on this podcast a lot. I think he would be, I don't know, he might've been one of the better uh, backup bigs on, and it, it, it bewilders me that he doesn't have a roster spot right now. I think he can provide value defensively and offensively as a sort of modern big. You know, Miles Turner, I think the contract's probably a little bit too much for what he provides. Um, and, you know, you're committing quite a little bit there. But he fits what the Brooklyn Nets would want, and it's an upgrade over what Jared Allen is. And, and P.J. Tucker, I think, is sort of the prototypical guy that would be awesome to sort of have as your small ball five alongside, you know, Jeff Green or whatever. I think that he'd be... P.J. Tucker he would be my... two needs. Yeah, he would. He'd be, he'd be able to play some wing and, and guard uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron. You know, P.J. Tucker is... You know, and, and I think in a lot of iterations of James Harden trades, we, we've seen P.J. Tucker packaged into it because, you know, you're going to have to pay him. And I don't think that Mr. Furtado is going to be willing to do that. Um, but the, those, yeah, I, I think those are the names that sort of spring to mind. Is there anyone else that I'm missing, do you think? No, I think, like, the reason that this question is so hard is because it's going to be hard to upgrade off of Jared Allen if you make a trade. You know what I mean? Given different contracts or like the other centers out there, like it's either like you're trading for a guy like Rudy Gobert or it's going to be hard to find someone that's an upgrade over Jared Allen. Like I mentioned Miles Turner, but still like you're still trading assets. So really like the best thing for the Nets probably is to keep Jared Allen at this point, unless it means getting, you know, a type of upgrade at the wing position. Then you're starting DeAndre, Jeff Greenger, small ball five, and then maybe you sign Dwayne Denman to that taxpayer MLE that you still have in your back pocket. Yeah, I think Dwayne Devin would, would take less than that. I think we would. Yeah, we'd... well, I'm just saying, or like if you know you get to the buyout market, you have that in your yeah. pocket where other teams don't have the option. They only have that minimum at this point. Can you combine two players to the taxpayer really, or does it have to go to one player? I'm not, you, I mean, can, I... you can separate it, yes, but it okay. is pretty small. So, like yeah. most veterans at that time would probably be getting a, a vet minimum of like 2.6 million. Yeah. yeah. 
And like we kind of talked about before, the vet minimum only counts as like 1.4 or 1.6 on your salary book. So it wouldn't make sense for you to split it up. If you have the mid-level exception, that's where it gets a little bit more intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just go on, Jared Allen. Uh, I, w- I was going to bring this up on our last episode, but we spent so much damn time with Matt just fibered and, and, and chatting away. And the dunked on mock rookie extensions, they projected Jared Allen to get a four-year $50 million contract. Do you think this is fair or unfair, Nick? Then what's more likely that Brooklyn extends an offer or he's getting traded? I wanted to bring that up because, you know, we chat a lot about all the guys on the roster. We focus on Kyrie, we focus on KD. But I thought that point, when I heard that, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to add that to my notes and bring it to the buzz um, if we get a chance at some point. I mean, I think four four over 50 would be a steal for Jared Allen. Like, I mean, not a, a complete steal, but I think it would be a, a really nice price. It would be like similar to that Yosef Nurkic contract we saw yes. a couple years ago, you know, where you're getting a starting center at a good value where somebody doesn't really want to overpay him. And like, there's not a huge market for him. So it might work out. So if the Nets can get him at that number, do it because not only is, you know, that's a steal for you, but it's also a great trade asset, like a starting center that can still improve. Um, In terms of like the second part in like keeping him or trading him, I think, you know, if they don't sign him to the extension, then he's a restricted free agent. So they probably have to figure it out or get their idea of what they're going to do by the trade deadline because it's going to be hard to make a decision before that. If he comes in the season and starts, which I haven't ruled out. I know a lot of people think, hey, DeAndre is locked into the start. There's no way Jared Allen is starting. I think there's still a chance that Jared Allen could start. And I showed you uh, Yes Network when they did a projected depth chart. They had yeah. Jared Allen as a starter, which I'm not saying, like, obviously it's Yes Network. They they don't need to have some inside info, but they easily could. They're going to be a little bit more, you know, locked in than we are. Yeah, I mean, Michael Grady's, you know, speaking to KD and Steve Nash, these sort of people. I feel like Michael but, Grady is so liked by everybody on the net. I mean... He seems awesome, though. Yes Network, I mean, obviously, we lost, you know, um, one of the great commentators, um, Jim Spadafel. Yep. Yeah, which I thought was a... Um, pretty crappy but uh, despite that the yes network has an amazing or that's media in general you know i, I touted them up and, and, and gave matt and, and all of them a lot of love but you know the Nets general beat um is goddamn awesome and you know we're very lucky to have them providing content for us and yeah i mean nick i, I remember we chatted about you know the fact that on the I think it was Bobby Marks on the, or Bobby Marks or someone on, on the wind horse pod sort of saying that you know he wants that clint capella money and i'm like does yeah. he we we both said like i think they like just misspoke at that point because that just seemed like too crazy yeah i mean like he sees what like you look at sort of there's this there's a sliding scale of money for for sinners at this sort of point in time you look at like a a vika zubach you look at like jakob pertl how much better is jared allen than jakob pertl like a bit but not that much i think jared allen has a greater upside but i think jakob pertl has a a a greater sort of you know floor like his consistency like he's going to consistently start for you and he could probably close games for you in some sort of respect because i think he provides you know a bit more strength and 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 sturdiness he's more of your traditional center yeah and like like a zubach and i think those guys have value in the league you know yusuf nurkic is great so it's like you know yusuf nurkic on a bargain basement deal you know miles turner what's a maybe an overvaluation in some sort of respect then you've got like you know sabonis as well at, at a similar sort of package um, and clint capella uh, and, and steven adams you know with his sort of extension and what he sort of got there's plenty of different numbers and obviously with you know rookie extensions it's generally paying for what you could be so if the nets were to get in for 40 50 million dollars you know sign him up but and it's not to say that that isn't out of the realms of possibility because maybe Jared Allen wants to lock in uh, life-changing money for him. You know, being a basketballer is obviously life-changing in itself, but you know, getting tens of millions of dollars to, to play a sport that you love um, is pretty damn awesome as well. And sort of being like, you know, what? 
things are a bit shaky right now. I'm going to take this. And that's what, and, you know, we saw that with Anthony Davis, obviously completely different scale. But a lot of us were sort of going, no, nah, he's going to do the two plus one to maximize it. He's just like, you know what? Give me all the money I can get right now because, and maybe Giannis does that as well. You know, we don't know, you know, if, if players are going to bet on themselves or sort of be a bit more cautious and sort of just go, just give me the, the guaranteed sort of valued money. Yeah, especially if like something happens with the cap and for whatever reason the the cap goes down and like all these numbers are locked in, they can't, you know, they can't not pay you the number they locked in. So that's a pretty intriguing aspect. And like, I still have a lot of confidence in Jared Allen developing into a really good player. Like, I don't think he's going to probably maybe hit the all-star level, but he could be the type of center that you want. Like if Jared Allen took some major strides, like I know this might come off as somewhat a hot take, but I don't necessarily like hate his matchup with Anthony Davis. Like, I'm not okay. saying he's going to lock down Anthony Davis, but if he took strides defensively, like, he has the body type that you would want to put on an Anthony Davis. Like, it's not like AD is punishing you physically. He's just an elite athlete with a great size and wingspan, obviously extremely skilled. I think that would be a skill set where Jared Allen could really, like, make his money in being a defender that can deal with some of these versatile wings. Obviously, he has to get better on the perimeter defense, but that'd be something I consider. And I'll go back to his rookie season where he played uh, Jer- uh, played Anthony Davis, and I thought he actually defended him pretty well. Obviously, there's other times where he got you know his head ripped off, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities of him being like the worst matchup. I like him better uh, than DeAndre Jordan on Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, I like Andre Jordan better against Embiid and Jokic. You know, yeah. I think that having those two centers, and Matt did a good piece for NetsDaily.com that, you know, it can, let's look at it from the positive side of things. You know, you have two quality centers on the roster. Yes, maybe there's a little bit too much money there to a position that probably is antiquated somewhat in, in modern basketball, unless you can, unless you are, you know, revolutionary uh, at that position, like a Jokic, like an Embiid, like a, you know, an Anthony Davis or whoever else it might be. But, before we get on to our final couple of questions, Nick, who do you think is more likely to be traded out of Jared Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie? Oof. I think Spencer Dinwiddie, because if you're unsure about retaining him or that you can't, there's no way for you to still do it. Where Jared Allen's a restricted free agent. Like, even if you can't agree to a number with him or you feel like he doesn't want to stay, like, he's a restricted free agent. You can match the offer. He's stuck with the Nets. Where Spencer also is in a situation where he's a guy that's going to get a lot of attention in the market. Not to say that Jared Allen won't, but Spencer's a guy that I could see all different types of teams trying to go after. Like he could end up being a starter or he could end up being like a crucial six man or even like, you know, starter slash bench player on one of these championship teams. So there's just like a lot of different fits in Spencer. And I honestly, like Dinwiddie could get something close to like 18, 20 million. Yeah. I mean, you look at what Fred Van Vliet got. I think Spencer, he could argue. just got 18. Yeah, you could argue that you know he deserves as much or in the realm of that sort of those sort of guys, and you know he deserve. And he sort of said you know, during the media day, why would I take less than what I'm valued for? And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's that's exactly right. Um, I'll go to our last question first because it sort of relates to what we've been talking about. Um, and this is from Bishop. What are your thoughts on Spencer's comments? There's been talk of him wanting out because of his quote cryptic tweets, but I think he was having fun at everyone's expense. Sounds to me like he wants to be here and win. I think he can be doing both. Yeah, well, he had the quote yesterday where he said that, why would I take an under market value deal to be here if I didn't want to be here? That'd be pretty stupid. Matt brought that up yesterday. And like we talked about it, that's logical. That's what makes sense. Why would he take an undervalued deal? You know, the only reason he did it is because he wants to win a championship with the Nets. Yep. And and in saying that, he can still explore his options. You know, that is within his right 
um, as a, an unrestricted free agent in in the league to be like, you know what, I'm still going to explore my options. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to take away from my focus of wanting to win a championship and wanting to play high level basketball for this team. Yes, sir, I think that he's he's a, he, he loves it. he knows how to use the media and use social media to sort of create um, narratives and, and just have a little bit of fun and poke the bear, you know, the, pro- yeah. the proverbial bear, because at the end of the day, you know, it provides good content for us on podcasts and for everyone else on Twitter to sort of poke fun at him. You know, cryptic is probably a really good way to describe Spencer when it comes to sort of his online use of, of Twitter and such. And, you know, cryptic, cryptic currency, cryptocurrency. I was going to say, but, he could throw currency in there too, Jack. <laughs> So throw it in there. So look, I, I think Spencer at this point in time, as of you know early December, heading into the season, he's locked in right now. But that could quite that could at the same time change. You know, we see you know maybe Steve Nash relegates him um, in terms of his offensive and defensive skill, and it's just like you know what, Carlos Verde playing better than you, mate. You know, we're probably going to be get, you're not going to be closing games or this sort of thing. And at that point in time, Spencer's you know what like. You know what? Get me out of here. Uh, I don't care what it's it is. It's interesting, though, on that aspect, too, is like he's even said, like, Karras is a third star, which I found, like, like really by any. Sorry to cut you off, Jack. No, no, it, it's totally fine because I think, look, I think that the mentality, I spoke about this on the last episode as well. You know, he is bought in. All of these guys are bought into whatever it, it takes for them to sort of contribute to, to winning basketball and championship basketball. But uh, like I sort of said, you know, all of these guys can be saying the right things, and it's yeah. quite easy to judge during media week. It's like the most fluffy week of NBA season ever. When it's in February, you know, just before the trade deadline or whatever, and you're not getting those minutes, you're not getting those touches, and the team's, you know, in a on a road trip, and you're missing your family, or you want to go somewhere else, and you you, you got dreams of bigger things. That's when, if you're saying the same thing, I'm buying it much more so. When they go on a losing streak, if they lose two or three games in a row or they lose games they're not supposed to or there's late game collapses, that's when you start to see some of those true colors. And that's where, all right, like you said, Jack, are you guys really buying in or are you going to kind of get scared at the first obstacle we're going to face? And then, yeah, look, it's easy to buy in at this point in time because nothing's happened yet. Like there, there's nothing yeah. to. You haven't you, had to work. Like they're yeah. you know, just practice. Like, yeah. like we're talking about practice, as Alan Iverson <laughs> would say. But uh, final question from a guy we've loved and a guy we've met, D Rock. Now that Marx will finally have his ideal four play meaningful games in Kevin Durant, in regards to small ball, how committed or stubborn will he remain if the Nets are getting beat up many games to teams making the playoffs? Will he change course and get some real fours? Oh, this is an interesting question. I think, uh, I mean, I think the Nets roster, they do have an option to kind of play up if they truly wanted to. Like, if you play Jeff Green at four, you're playing a little bit bigger. Not saying that's what I want, but I'm saying, like, Jeff Green is a legitimate power forward. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he plays small ball at five. Like, you have to be able to bang with center. So I think there's, like, options to match up. I get what D-Rock is saying. It's still a concern where because, like, you look at the small forward position, they're probably going to play Joe Harris a lot there. Maybe even Landry Shamit, maybe Karis Levert, maybe Bruce Brown, like whatever it is, those guys are undersized. I think it really just depends more so on the matchup because there's certain teams in the East that don't play big. Like, for example, like the Heat went to the finals. They didn't play big. Like there was occasional lineups of Kelly Olynyk and Bam, but a lot of it was just Bam on the floor and Jay Crowder playing power forward. And like even the Raptors, you look, they got Siakam. Like he's a true power forward, but I'm not – like KD can deal with that level of physicality. I'm not saying I want him to. Look at Boston. Like – is Boston even going to play it for? Like, is Jason Tatum going to play for? Is Grant Williams going to play for? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the Pacers have Sabonis and Miles Turner. But, like, 
I don't think they're necessarily the biggest threat to the Nets. And then when you get to the Sixers, that's where it gets more interesting. Same thing with the Bucks. So I understand the fear, but like Sean Marks also still has time to adjust the roster. And like we talked about that quote yesterday, he's going to reevaluate after training camp. You know what I mean? And I also think like one nice, you know, perk of having Kevin Durant on the roster is like, okay, how do these other forwards defend elite forwards? You know what I mean? I'm going to get to see Torian Prince. I'm going to get to see Jeff Green. I'm going to get to see whoever is going to match up with KD for the next, you know, 10, 20 days in training camp and really be able to evaluate them. Obviously, it might not be the same level Kevin Durant, but it's a good test for those guys. It's a great point. Really, really good point. And and I think that all of those guys provide some level of value. I think Torian Prince as well. You know, I think he's a, a, a 3-4. And, you know, if you have KD out there with Green, and or Torian Prince, I think that provides value on both ends of the floor. You know, I think, you know, whether it's for stretching purposes or I think, you know, those guys are strong enough. And I think there's some good versatility there, that's for sure. But, you know, it's not necessarily ideal. You know, it's not like, you know, a Mo Harkless, who I think would be, you know, a, a clear upgrade of that sort of position or a Jay Crowder. These sort of guys that provide, you know, just value automatically with their defense. And they're, I mean, Jay Crowder's a much better shooter than, than Mo Harkless, but I think with, within the net system, he would be better. But yeah, in saying that, I just think that if the Nets get, get their own on the offensive end, they're going to be able to do their own style and teams are going to be defending them. Yeah, but they the can same, dictate the terms in some Exactly, exactly. But at the same time, you mentioned in the, the, the Sixers. It's the Sixers, the Lakers, and the Bucks. Yeah. And those are, I mean, two of those three are genuine championship teams. And in the Sixers, I'm a little bit higher on, you know, just purely because of the changes that they made. Um, Addition by the subtraction team. for them, easy. Yeah, so I think that those are all teams that are, the Nets are going to have to worry about. And I said in the last episode when we were talking about the sort of marquee matchups for the Brooklyn Nets, the one that I'm sneakily looking forward to the most is the the one against the Milwaukee Bucks because I want to see how they do against Giannis. I want to see how they do against Brook Lopez and, and those sort of big guys and Chris Middleton and see you know where, where we truly do lie in Eastern Conference contention. Yeah, I, I mean, just the hot, I mean, instant like thought in my head was, Put Jared Allen on Giannis, put Kevin Durant on Brooke Lopez. Like, that's what I would do. Like, you know, obviously I know Lopez has been getting more post touches, but not to, like, the highest extent where you're just, like, going to be sick about Brooke Lopez going in the post. Yeah, it's certainly a wait-and-see proposition. And, oh, man, it's what, like, a week, a week and a bit until we get to see Brooke. Uh, we get to see Kevin Durant wearing a Brooklyn Nets jersey on a basketball court. It, I, yeah. I, oh, man, can't wait. Can't what? freaking Less than 20 days for opening night. It's it's pretty crazy stuff. And I'm just intrigued to see what KD is going to look like because that's really going to determine a lot of the components of our season. And also, like, we can't react after the first game because I think even, like, he'll be a different player from game one to game 72. Big time. Big time. And, you know, we'll be diving deep into all the players, all the storylines, all the schedule stuff, um, even more so in probably what's going to be quite a large episode of the free agent, uh, not the free, the, uh, the off-season preview, the 2020-2021. I'm <laughs> sick of saying it already. Um, one, hopefully it turns to January sooner rather than later. But yeah, it's going to be uh, big stuff coming for the Brooklyn Buzz, and those game recaps are going to be fire flames. Yeah, uh, super excited. We're going to be dropping some pods, like Jack said. Obviously, get some great guests on. And always feel free to hit us up with any questions or topics on Twitter at the JmanJBT and at OTG underscore Nick. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to everyone listening. Thanks to all the questions. We had it, just the success that we've been able to have is because of you guys. And we, it still, bewild, like we said at the top, it still bewilders us that we've had this success and people are still choosing to listen to us and respond to us on Twitter and listen to us and actually see us as somewhat knowledgeable about this team. It's going to be fun and we're 
we, we can't wait for the ride with you guys as well. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com